This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 17. Episode 21. This is Writing Excuses, casting your story with character voice. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. Brains. I'm Dan. <laughs> I'm Zoraida. I'm Gayla. <laughs> I'm obviously the zombie. <laughs> and that is what's left of Howard. Um, so this week we're talking about casting your story with character voice. You've got a big ensemble cast. How do you make every member of that ensemble unique and interesting? Uh, Zoraida, where do you start with this? I usually start, I, as we talked about in the previous episode, I start with uh, the protagonist, protagonist, and then I, I make sort of this spider web uh, of how the other characters interact with them. Um, I think about who they are as people, making sure that every single character wants their own thing that is separate from the protagonist protagonist. So everybody has a shared goal and individual goals. Um, and I start there and what they want usually tells me who they are as a person, what they're willing to do to get the thing that they want. Um, and making sure that they have very distinct personalities. Yeah. Uh, motivation is such a great, uh, place to start with this. Uh, it's something that you can see a lot, uh, in role-playing games, if you've ever played D&D or any of the other role-playing games, um, that's a slightly different situation because in that case, uh, you know, each character is being run by a player and that player likely thinks of themselves as the main character of the story. And they have specific things that they want, specific goals that each individual is trying to achieve. And they all come across then as fairly vibrant. Uh, they're not... You know, I, I shouldn't say it never happens because there's always one player who's content to just sit in the background and and happy to be included. Uh, but, yeah, <laughs> making sure that they each have their own goal, that they are really trying to do something that is uh, different than what everyone else is interested in, even though they do all have that shared goal of, you know, destroying the Death Star or whatever it is they're the trying to do. The matrix of characterization and motivation in a tabletop role-playing game is even more complicated than that because you have a group of five people, all of which have gotten together in order to play a game, but why? Is it because I wanted to spend time with my friends? Is it because I wanted to escape? Is I Do I, do I just want to smash monsters and roll dice? You know, what do I personally want from this to, I'm just here for the pizza. I'm probably the GM. I'm working way too hard for pizza, but that's the only reason I'm here. And then you layer on top of that all of the character motivations, and boy, howdy, does that get complex. And it's one of the reasons why studying what is happening at a tabletop when you're participating is such a great way to begin wrapping your head around how how you might make members of an ensemble distinct in your book. Um, yeah. And, oh, sorry. No, go for it. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, I was going to say something you hit on earlier, Dan, um, about like 
each character kind of being their own main character um, in their heads they're their own main character I think that's one of the things that ensembles really excel at it's one of the things that that's why I want to watch an ensemble or read an ensemble or things like that is because each character has their own strong motivation they have the reason that they came whether it's pizza or it's <laughs> or it's rolling the dice or intense wish fulfillment whatever it is that their goal is that's like that's the thing that compels me to like the characters um, when I'm writing characters like that I think I pull from um, like the like I'm a kind of a hoarder in real life you know like I mean not like concerning I'm not going to be on a real like reality show for it but <laughs> we'll find, we'll find 17 cats underneath your pile of manuscripts yeah. <laughs> I'm like don't look at them okay I have five more but it's not a problem <laughs> um but uh, I kind of do that with uh, creative stuff. You know, like I hoard mm-hmm. things in the back of my head. I hoard stuff that I like where I'm like, oh, I love the character of like the k- super cool guy who's like, oh, I don't have any feelings. But then you find him petting cats and cooking food for his mom. And you're like, adorable. Mm-hmm. You know, things like that. You just gra- you just like hold all of those, hoard all of those together. And then you start plugging them into different characters to make them distinct, like Zoraida said. I spend a lot of time thinking about voice and, and, and usually before I write, like I'm, I'm, I, I want to say I'm an ideator as opposed to a procrastinator because like I spent a lot <laughs> of time doing the, the non, non-physical part of writing and just thinking about and just thinking like, what does this character, how would they sound like I was walking down the street, like thinking in my character's head, like, and then just like laughing. Um, but it's it sort of, it, it makes me think of, uh, something that's not book related, which is uh, the TV show Friends, right? There's that story where if you're a Friends fan or Stan, uh, you know that (laughs) um, Courtney Cox and Jennifer Aniston originally auditioned for the opposite characters. So like uh, Courtney Cox auditioned for Rachel and Jennifer Aniston for Monica, and then they switched them. And, and so I just think about how different those characters would be with the different voices, with each actress's voice. And I feel like the same thing applies to your own characters. They have like their singular voice makes them who they are. Right. And staying on friends, Joey doesn't share food. What are these taglines that they might have? What are this thing that only this person can say and get away with? Uh, And that's the thing that really the, the dynamics really come out. You know, I think it's really interesting that we're talking so much about sitcoms uh, as we go through <laughs> these episodes. And it's because those are very overtly ensemble stories. And often one of the things that they are able to do really effectively is tell stories specifically designed to highlight the differences between the characters. Uh, mm-hmm. Community did this all the time. Uh, great example, they had a Christmas episode. Every member of that cast is a different religion and different background. And so they all interacted with Christmas in different ways. There was a Seinfeld episode where that set in a movie theater where the four main characters were just trying to find each other. And then you got to hear them like describe each other to the ushers and things like, have you seen this person? They look like this and hearing them describe what the other people look like just became really fascinating. And so that, kind of in this ensemble story is a really great way to tell those kinds of stories is, Mm -hmm. you know, here is a central issue. How is each person going to bounce off of it in a different way? Uh, Years and years ago, we, we did an episode of uh, writing excuses where we talked about uh, 
writing principle. I don't remember what book it's from, which is uh, uh, focusing on the character who is in the most pain um, mm-hmm. as a way to uh, as a way to uh, you know pick the most interesting POV in writing Schlock Mercenary, uh, which has a huge cast of characters and and members of that cast rotate you know book for book rotate into and back out of the ensemble, I found that uh, in, in the outlining, in the construction of the stories, I had to be careful that the most interesting POV, the most painful POV, wasn't someone who wasn't part of the ensemble in this book. Because if I switched away and did something really interesting with somebody who was you know, just on the side... Uh, I, I was kind of throwing away a good characterization moment. Um, mm-hmm. Similarly, if I had a really, really good joke I wanted to tell because it was wordsmithed well, I couldn't give it to one of the characters who didn't speak wordsmithy. I had, I had to give it to somebody who had the vocabulary to deliver it. And often, often with you know jokes like that, with plot moments like that, I had to bend the plot in ways to make sure that the right person was on stage in the right mood, in the right, uh, in the right place, in the right mindset to deliver this great line of dialogue. The, the lines were not actually that great, but to me, <laughs> were, um, to deliver this great line of dialogue, because if I deliver it with the wrong character, it knocks people out of the story. Because if you've done voice character characterization correctly, Something that, you know, a fantastic line of dialogue that's out of character for someone will knock the reader out of the story. And that's not what you want to have happen. That's the opposite of what you want to have happen. Hey, so let's uh, follow on this same line of thought. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Howard, you are also our book of the week this week. I am. Um, right now, we are running the beta read of Shafters, Shifters, and the Chassis of Chance over at the Schlock Mercenary Patreon. It is a cozy murder mystery science fiction comedy. And it is, I have I have bent a lot of rules in order to get all of those genres in one place. And what's fun about it is that it is a single person, uh, it's a first person POV, um, but I had to make sure that every member of the ensemble sounded different. And so the way in which this character, 
describes what the members of the ensemble are doing, um, it had to be had to be distinct. Uh, if you want to read it, you can join the uh, Patreon at the five dollar level, and we have been dropping uh, chapter a week through the month of May, and the month of May will give you the whole novella, uh, and you will get this before anybody else does. And based on feedback from beta readers, I will then make it good enough to be a commercial product. <laughs> that sounds excellent. Yes. I like how you just said, read this thing before it's good and still made it sound really appealing. So, <laughs> one, of the well things, one of the things that I've learned in writing comics, in writing a web comic, uh, I did not have the luxury of writing all the way to the end and then going back and finishing things. Every installment of Schlock Mercenary had to be had to be publishable because it was going up on the web. Um, that it was, and that was kind of a running gag here in writing excuses. Is that you guys would talk about going back and revising something so that it works, and I would quote the old Monty Python sketch and say, "Luxury." Um, <laughs> the uh, but with with Shafter Shifters that same that same mode of writing. I've made four passes through the whole manuscript already. So you're not alpha reading. You'd be beta reading. And I think you're going to love it. Awesome. All right. Uh, before the book of the week, Kayla, you were about to say something. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was just going to say that one of my favorite things, like what, <laughs> what Howard was talking about with like, you have to change things according to who's talking. Uh, and on, that can be from high level down to like really minute line level editing. There have been so many times where I have written down, you know, I'm like sh grocery shopping or I'm waiting in the airport or whatever. And I'm like, ooh, perfect line I need to use in my book. Oh, that's great. I'm currently drafting the the third book in my series. So like that's really top of mind right now. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I write that down. And then when I'm actually in the document trying to fit it in, I'm like, Lion would never say that, man. <laughs> it, or this character would never say it like that. That's way too poetic for them. <laughs> and then I have to rewrite it several times in order to get it into their voice or give it to another character. But I always end up changing it because I think that's just uh, speaks to how distinct character voice and how essential it is to the ensemble cast. Definitely. So um, that that's a, a good thing. And, and let's talk a little bit about this then is not just making your characters unique, but making them identifiable. Both Kayla and Howard have said, um, you know, that they come up with a good line of dialogue that has to be from a certain character or can't be from a different character. And that comes from really strong, solid characterization. How do you achieve that? How do you make your characters so distinct that dialogue can only be from that one person and wouldn't sound right with anybody else? Mm -hmm. Um, that's, you use two different words here. You used unique and distinct. Um, if you have a pair of, a pair of characters who are identical twins, they don't look unique. They don't pass the silhouette test when they're standing next mm -hmm. to one another, but we still need to tell them apart. They still need to be distinct. And, and that's why I use that. That's why I try and use the word distinct I, all I need is for the reader to be able to tell them apart. 
Um, and some of the tools that I use are, uh, if any of you have seen Free Guy, uh, catchphrase, um, <laughs> third thing here. Uh, I have, I have, I have things that only they will say, and that they can almost be expected to say in certain circumstances. So by the time you get to the end of the story, when someone says catchphrase, you know exactly who it is. I don't need a dialogue tag to prove it. Right. Right. Absolutely. I actually, I really love that because sometimes it's frustrating reading something where you can't tell characters apart. Um, or if you look at fan art and it's like, it's a handsome brunette man, right? Like what <laughs> makes this handsome brunette man unique um, and distinct? And the distinction is, is a very thing. And I feel like the thing that goes into that is the personal touch, right? If I'm uh, I've had like readers come up to me and say like, I recognize you because of your, your jean jacket with like X, Y, Z buttons, right? Like they, they, they've identified me because of this thing that I was wearing, right? Like if you look at all the Avengers, obviously they all have different uniforms. Um, so I think that everything from beyond dialogue goes into that as well. Yes. You know, um, I'm, I'm go, go ahead, Kayla. I was going I was going to say, like, I love that we're using the like uh, outer equivalent of like distinction to represent also the inner equivalent of of distinction. Um, so I love anime again, cartoons. Um, and one of my big beefs with anime, though, is that like when you create a bunch of characters who have so many cool little things that they're wearing that it all becomes <laughs> meaningless. Where I'm like, literally, it's like everything in the kitchen sink outfit, you know. And I'm like, everyone has weird hair here, so it's not actually distinct anymore. <laughs> Like but I'm watching everyone's, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, everyone's a Yu-Gi-Oh protagonist. No one's a Yu-Gi-Oh protagonist now, you know? <laughs> um, but one of my favorite things is to like, in the books that I write, because again, anime, I love anime. <laughs> um, I love to give characters a very distinct physical feature so that the moment you see that when you're glancing down a book thing, you know who's there, but also a really distinct way of talking or a distinct problem that whenever you see somebody's facing that, that's their inner, that's their inner distinction is that you're like, oh, if Lion is in this scene, I know he's going to be angry most of the time. <laughs> that's his thing. He's the angry one. Now, of course, that goes to deeper. You know, we will talk more about uh, avoiding flat characters later. But I think that adding a distinct thing that is recognizable, like when you get lost as a kid in the store and you're looking for your mom's pink coat, you know, <laughs> like you don't want to have too many pink coats around or else you have the terror of grabbing some lady's hand and looking up and it's not your mom. And that's that a terrifying happened woman. To me once. That happened to me once when <laughs> I was a kid at the supermarket. You don't, <laughs> you don't want to do that to your readers, right? <laughs> Yeah. In the 90s, everyone had jean jacket skirts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so last week, Howard had the, the, a very unpopular opinion. Uh, I think <laughs> that it's my turn uh, because a really beautiful example of this comes from the Netflix Marvel shows and particularly Iron Fist. Iron Fist was <laughs> awful and everyone hated it. But once but he was part of the Defenders... <laughs> You could, he worked. He was still not necessarily likable, but you put him next to Daredevil, who was grim and competent, Luke Cage, who was grim and competent, Jessica Jones, who was grim and competent, and then Iron Fist got to be this kind of arrogant hothead who was eager to jump into fights he couldn't win and things like that. He didn't work necessarily on his own, 
But in the ensemble, he absolutely filled a vital niche uh, that kind of rounded out the group as a whole. I think one of the reasons he worked is because the other characters all got to say what all of us had been thinking during <laughs> his Iron Fist season, uh, especially Jessica Jones. Man, yeah. her scoring points on him was my favorite jam for a couple of episodes. It was great. Cathartic. Yeah. Cathartic. Well, and it's not just that it was fun to watch people mock him, but I don't think Defenders would have been as strong without him yeah. uh, because he added some really necessary texture and, and distinctness. Anyway, uh, we've let this episode go on really long, and so we are going to end with homework. And Howard, you have our homework. I do. Um, you know, we got a we got a glimpse of this when we were talking about uh, about that episode of Friends in the movie theater. Um, two part Seinfeld. homework. Two part homework. Have each of your ensemble characters describe themselves, how they see themselves. Go ahead and write a mirror scene because heaven knows you're not going to be able to put it in a book. Um, <laughs> uh, second. Have each of your ensemble characters describe each of the others. So that second part suddenly gets really big um, because, I mean, you know how matrices work. You got four characters and suddenly you're talking about writing 16 things. Um, <laughs> but there's your homework. Uh, and, and the point of this is to let, to let you see how voice affects perception uh, and, and ultimately audience perception of this ensemble you're going to be putting in your story. You are out of excuses. Now go write. The Writing Excuses Retreats are back for 2022. Capital Reef with Dan and me, Mary Robinette, this summer and our big cruise in September. Check writingexcusesretreat.com for all the details. We hope you'll be able to join us. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storytellers' stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.